Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. David Serrata's first aspiration in life was to become an astronaut. And back in 1968, David and a friend witnessed the UFO, along with hundreds of other witnesses. After this experience, David grew up as a UFO enthusiast, never living in doubt of the phenomena that has swept the world since the Roswell incident of 1947. His interest in space, religion, philosophy, astronomy, science, led him on his career-related paths, and he has worked deeply in high technology, environmental work, humanitarian issues, as well as a professional photographer for more than 20 years. Here he is back on Coast to Coast, David Serrata. Hey, David, how you doing? George, the only way to travel at the speed of light is to talk on the radio because the radio waves go out at the speed of light. So you're already... <laughs> You're the man. You're flying at the speed of light every night. Exactly. <laughs> and you're coming along for the ride. So what's new with you? Well, the, the, I'm going to... I have startling information to share with the audience tonight. I hope we get through all of it. But I recently, in the last eight months, partners up with a... I would call him a radio astronomer, an a- amateur radio astronomer, Jimmy Blanchett. And we started... With this, you know that scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when they're on the what they call the dark side of the moon in Devil's Tower, and they're playing the language of musical tones back and forth. That's right. Do, 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 do. Yeah, and then the E.T. goes, bum, bum, and they, boy, the windows blow up. That, the language of tone is kind of like what we would expect in the form of, of a communication, or, or or we would expect a pictogram, which is what a crop circle is in a way. Sure. But we're, we're not going to get a communication in plain English or Spanish or Italian that, that makes sense to us. And in fact, any extraterrestrial civilization that can conquer the vast distance between stars is probably going to speak in a very, very sophisticated language. So... A new piece of data arrived on the scene to me, and I'm, I'm really surprised that the world missed this, because at the end of this Netflix series on the UAP UFO phenomena, the radar operator on the USS um, Princeton, Kevin Day said, as well as Commander David Fravor, confirmed this. What I'm about to say is so shocking, I'm amazed that nobody noticed, that the UFO jumped 60 miles in a second. Wow. Now, 60 miles in a second is 216,000 miles per hour, which is Mach 281.51. So so when you see the New York Times and all these magazines saying, well, the UAPs could be Chinese because they're going Mach 5, and we were going Mach 4, 5, and 6 in the X-15 ages ago when I was a kid, and the, you know that was big news. So why are they turning the story to Mach 5 when they're going Mach 281? So what interests me about 216,000 miles an hour, when I looked at that number, I said, I know that number, because there's this whole music theory about tuning your guitar and your piano to the 432 middle A note instead of A440. And it turns out 216 is an octave of 432, because an octave is when you take a frequency for a musical note times two to go up an octave. So 216,000 times an octave is 432,000. And I went, this is all about frequency. These, these UFOs understand harmonics 
like we understand the music scale, and they're able to jump hyperdimensionally. So you have to understand, no, not even, not a bullet, not the fastest missile we have, which is the Minuteman, you know, which is 18,000 miles an hour. The Russian hypersonic missiles are, are five to 7,000 miles an hour. Nothing's really faster than Minuteman. So once you understand that, and our fighter jets peak at around 2,100 miles an hour, you know, so Mach two and a half, maybe. So when you're looking at Mach 281 in the UAP, and when Kevin Day presented this on the Netflix series, there was no follow-up. Nobody noticed, you know, 60 miles a second times 60 seconds in a minute times 60 minutes in an hour is 216,000 miles an hour, folks. So, so that is establishing a harmonic. And when I, when I met Jimmy Blanchett, Jimmy Blanchett was getting, there was two phenomena that he was doing on his own before he met me. He was using a particular harmonic frequency called the 144.1 megahertz, which is, which is a function of 432. And he was receiving what appear, sending out signals all on his own and receiving what appeared to be intelligent responses on these handheld radios. And in addition to that, Jimmy has this massive antenna that he was sending out signals at 432 megahertz. What even possessed him to do that, David? Well, we're going we're gonna to learn about it when you meet Jimmy. But when I saw 432 megahertz, okay, you go back to, to Kevin Day's radar data, and the UFO jumped 216,000 miles an hour, which times two is the... Uh, 217,000 miles an hour times two is 432. I said, wait a minute, there, there's a connection here. There's something about the way these things move, and we're just barely beginning to understand. So when, you, you, when I learned what was happening on Jimmy's radios, and of course, I was appointed director of the Los Angeles Tesla Foundation by MIT PhD Bogdan Castle Maglich, my nuclear fusion boss for 20 years, and of course, I worked for Maglitch in Department of Defense, also in landmine and bomb detection. Um, I learned a lot about Tesla, and I studied all of his patents. <laughs> when you go back to <clears throat> the early days of radio, when, in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court rules June 21st, 1943, the Tesla, Lodge, and Stone are the true fathers of radio. Marconi borrows Tesla's patents and is the first one to, to send a signal across the Atlantic. But guess what? Both Tesla and Marconi were reporting the exact same phenomena as Jimmy Blanchett. Way back in the beginning of radio in 1896, Tesla was reporting this, and they thought it was extraterrestrial signaling in the form of Morse code, because it kind of sounds like hmm. Morse code. And the, Tesla was actually frightened. Um, Marconi noticed the same thing. There are these really fast little. This is what it sounds like. So when today, when Jimmy and I send out a signal, like a, a transmission, we've been doing transmissions to Mercury, Venus, actually the Earth. We did a moon bounce on August the eighth. Um, we reflected a signal off the moon and hit the Great Pyramid of Egypt, and we had a guy filming the Great Pyramid of Egypt. We ran that videography through an, um, a processor, and we could see the auric response of the Great Pyramid from the moon bounce reflection, which was phenomenal. 
But what was really amazing is the data in these pulses. I deducted the same thing that Tesla and, and Marconi did, that these might be Morse code. And guess what Tesla and Marconi um, admitted? That it, when they converted the dashes and dots to Morse code, it didn't add up to anything. It was a bunch of gibberish. So it wasn't Morse code, but what was it? And, and what's amazing about the early days of radio is even Tesla filed a patent using alternating current transmission of radio, which is very unusual, by the way. And he was able to send a signal around the Earth in, in a golden ratio of 1 times 1.618, which is the golden ratio, of the speed of light. So therefore, he was sending a, a signal 1.618 times the speed of light, pretty much precisely, way back in the beginning of radio. So today, we believe that if an extraterrestrial civilization were visiting us, and you have all these UFO UAPs flying around, sure. wh why isn't anybody talking about receiving their signals? And and turns out nobody talks about that. We have the abduction stories. We have the personal consciousness shifts that people experience. But nobody in the military understands how they communicate. So what Jimmy has inadvertently discovered is the same thing that Marconi and Tesla discovered. And that is there's a function on a radio at certain harmonics where once you know how to trigger them by setting them the right frequencies, they respond, and we've got hundreds of recordings of their response. Would you say, David, then, that most UFO sightings have some form of communication attached to it? We just never knew about it? I think it was going on back in the days of Tesla and Marconi, because you go to the history of like, you know, the Battle of 42 incident is one of the earliest uh, UFO cases where, we, you know, we're in the where World War Two is just starting. And of course, this is the Battle of Los Angeles case. And again, you your military has access to radios. Of course, this is the early days of radio. We don't know who they are up there. We think they might be the Japanese because of, of Pearl Harbor. We don't know what's going on. Um, we think they could be anybody, but we're, we're not able to intercept a signal from them of any type of communication. But, but logically, if there's multiple craft, they have to be communicating with each other. Well, here's one of the most phenomenal things about these, I call them, it's like birds chirping, even faster than birds chirping. And I'll play it for you here in a few minutes, but what it actually sounds like. But when I test my radio, because Jimmy actually personally trained me how to do this, right? He trained me how to do this, set up my radio, buy one of these radios, tune my radio to 144.1 megahertz, and then send out a series of actual tones to them, whoever they are. And within minutes, in fact, Jimmy just did it with me tonight. He had me, you know play through my radio and I'm in I'm just north of northern Idaho on the Canadian side. Mm -hmm. This this is actually where Roswell began. Let me just demonstrate. So the first reporting before the Roswell incident was from a United Airlines pilot and the and the passenger saw UFOs 
in northern Idaho. So, so northern Idaho comes into what's called the Kootenai Mountain Range in British Columbia, where there's a huge history of UFO sightings. And in fact, just the other night, I saw the brightest thing go over my house, which is on two acres against infinite crown land, and I'm way outside of the town. So that's where it began. And then there was the Kenneth Arnold sighting in June of the same year, 1947. And then in July 4th, Independence Day, right over Portland, Oregon, the, the, the UFOs were hovering right above the city, right over the coastline. And it made the, it made the papers. So it's like we were chasing them around the country. The next report comes from FOIA documents that there were eight UFOs over Edwards Air Force Base on July the 7th. And then right about then is when, according to my friend Boyd Bushman at Lockheed Martin, we were chasing and shot down the UFOs using the Tesla death ray, is according to the Bushman testimony at Lockheed. And and that happened, of course, in New Mexico, and there are three crashes there. So, so the point is, it all began here, and and did we intercept anything on radio? And the answer is no. And that's because there are so many functions of a radio wave, and we were kind of walked into this standard model. You have and to know what to listen for, right? You you have to know how to use it and 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 actually create a a kind of trigger because if you turn on your handheld radio to 432 megahertz you're not going to hear anything if you turn it to the the harmonic 144.1 you won't hear anything but if you know how to signal them they respond within a minute and this happened to me tonight again stating that I'm in the middle of nowhere. Now, have so, you been able, David, to interpret the tones? Oh, yeah, George. And this is where it gets mind-blowing, because I have equipment here to take the tones, put them in my editing bay, and look at the waveforms. And I'm telling you, it, when you're looking at the waveforms, there's only one thing that has that kind of waveform. And that is language, because single point frequencies have consistent waveform structure. And when you're looking at these little pulses and you look at their waveform structure, it looks just like a human voice sped up tremendously, like like sped up about 100 times. Can you play the tone for us now before the break, David? I can, um, I can probably play the... Um, the the tone and this is something you this is something you receive I'll show you what I'll show you what happens when your radio starts chirping okay this is what it sounds like right here hang on all right wait a second that's my um hang on a second that's not what it sounds like no they're not sending those tones here we go all right here we go Did you hear those chirps? Uh, they heard those chirps and those you cap now, captured from outer space? Those are the same chirps that sound kind of like Morse code that Tesla and Marconi describe perfectly. Now, 
what is actually happening, and it's taken me a long time to figure this out, and it was actually with the help of Richard Hoagland as, as our co-researcher, actually, that he told me to, you've got, there's time dilation going on here. And, and that's, in fact, when I was a physics student, I wrote a whole paper on time dilation that my my physics professor said was way ahead of where we were at, and it was very similar to Einstein's time dilation theory. And time dilation is, is in, in a hyperdimensional space, time can be going by way faster than it is in another strata or, or dimension of space. And therefore, what we see and what we hear on the radio is, is actually when you slow it down, and I'm trying to find my slow down track because it's, it, it reminds me of the, the ETs in the the movie um arrival here it is this is quite powerful all right here we go sounds like a wild boar doesn't it listen to this So what that is, when you look at the waveform of that, there are, there's over a hundred frequencies in each pulse. And that means, like, if I record my voice saying George Norrie, and I look at the waveform, there's dozens of frequencies in, a, in, in those two words. Whereas if they were sending me back 432 hertz, the waveform would be uniform and perfectly consistent. But that's not what these waveforms look like. So they're not Morse code because Morse code is steady dots and dashes, dot, dash, 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 dot, dot, which are steady pulses. These these pulses have structure. And if you've seen the movie Arrival, is the ET actually sounds a little bit like what I just I just played for you. So when you what we do is we look at the frequency and the wave pattern in this language, which has been time dilated on the radio, but when we slow it down, we actually start to see what's going on. In fact, we need to slow it down even more. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.